pick up where we left off next chapter in 1 Samuel. Chapter 23, we will be reading it in its entirety. This is God's word to us this afternoon. Let's give our attention to it. 1 Samuel 23. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Calah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Calah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Calah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Calah. When Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Calah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Calah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Calah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Calah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about six hundred, arose and departed from Calah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Calah, he gave up the expedition, and David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day. But God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. 
Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish, on the hill of Hekelah, which is south of Yeshmon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down. And our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure, know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. See therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then... I will go with you, and if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose, and they went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Yeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told. So he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that he had pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon, Saul went on the other side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land." So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up there from there and lived in the strongholds of the En Gedi. And the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are certainly not sufficient to these things and we cannot obtain to them. And yet, Lord, You have revealed them to us for our instruction, for our reproof and for our encouragement. And we pray that by Your Word and Your Spirit that You'd give us understanding to this narrative this afternoon. May we look and see wondrous things in Your Word. And how you have worked all things to the power of your will, for your glory, and for our salvation found in Christ. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. How do you read Providence? I'll ask it another way. How do you know the will of the Lord? Now, a long time ago, I was a part of a different movement, and a lot of you guys know that, and during that time, the way that you would know the will of the Lord was not to seek the means of grace through the preached word. In fact, people were known to travel thousands of miles to go and get a fresh word, a living word. And you guys maybe even experienced it. There was oftentimes certain services that would take place where it would be bragged upon that the Lord had moved if the word was not preached. Now, the reason I bring that up is because 
The Lord has given us a way to read providence, and it may surprise you, but what we have today in our narrative is a contrast, a contrast on the way that David and Saul read providence, or we could say this, the way that they knew the will of the Lord. Now, Leading up to our text, I am going to give you a New Testament passage for us real quick. In Hebrews 1.1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. That being said, let's start thinking about our text. David is on the run, as we recall, and he needs some direction. Danger is all around him, and he needs to know how to read the situation and really what decisions to make here. And as, like I said, we will see, it is the Lord who provides guidance to David. And so that he can see a way of escape, if you will, from his enemies and also to provide salvation, which again will foreshadow Christ to us this afternoon and and his wisdom to lead us in our lives by faith. Well, the curtain opens up today once again on David. And today, David is hiding in the forest of Hereth with his band of outlaws, his group of malcontents. King Saul is scurrying the land. He's scouring the land for him. And so David has to stay in hiding. But as David is staying deep cover in camouflage, his scouts bring him some news. There is a nearby town of Judah named Cala that has just been attacked by the Philistines. It appears that the harvest is just finishing up, and just as the villagers of Cala have done all the hard work to bring in that harvest, now the Philistines come to steal all that hard labor. This would be like getting robbed after filling up that SUV with groceries. Well, David is distraught over the news, and he wants to go and help. He wants to punish these Philistines. Well, note what David does first in the beginning at verse 2. Verse Samuel 23.2 says, Therefore David did what? He inquired of the Lord, and he said this, Shall I go and attack these Philistines. Brothers and sisters, he immediately inquires of the Lord. David does not rush in thinking that he knows best. Instead, he double-checks his desires with the Lord's desire. And this inquiring of the Lord is kind of a key theme in our chapter this afternoon. That is, how does someone read providence? The Philistines are attacking Cala. This is a fact. And so the question is, how should someone in David's position respond to such an injustice? 
Well, David has his first impression, and he wants to help the town of Caleb. But is this the correct response? Is this the right one? David is humble, and he's wise enough not to assume that his first impression is the correct one. He knows that he needs to check himself with the Lord, and so he makes an inquiry with the Lord, which is probably by a prophet. The text doesn't say this, but by the form of the text, it really does, and you have to understand this. It would either have been a prophet or a priest with an ephod to do an inquiry of the Lord, and we'll see that here in a little while. This means that that he had asked a prophet, and the Lord tells him what to do. But then his men, who are scared, protest over this out of fear, and so David goes to the Lord again. Note verses 3 and 4 with me. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Cala against the armies of the Philistines? So what did David do? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Cala, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. David essentially asking, Lord, are you sure I should go and fight these Philistines? And the Lord reassures David, is he? He's just so kind here. He reassures David that he's going to get the victory. And sure enough, the word of the Lord comes to pass. David and his men charge into battle and they rout the Philistines. Now think about what a deliverance this would have been for the inhabitants of Caleb. For they didn't ask David for help. They were just being mugged. They were being robbed bare. They were defenseless and they were alone. And all of a sudden, Robin Hood comes in, riding out from the forest to their rescue. David has been branded an outlaw. And he really should not be risking such exposure. And as his men implied, you can't go rescue others when your own life is in danger. But this did not stop David. He had to help the people. He couldn't just let the people of Judah, and in particular the inhabitants of Cala, to suffer. And so kind of like a Robin Hood, David swoops in for their salvation. Brothers and sisters, he saved their harvest, their pasture lands, and the lives of the people in that town This is an unexpected salvation from a very unlikely Savior. The people of Cala never guessed that their prayers would be answered through David and through his band of outlaws. Now, right on the heels of this wonderful and magnificent deliverance, we are given a detail we should discuss from verse 6. Look at it with me. When Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David, to Cala, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Here we see that Abathar, the priest, catches up with David while he was at Cala. Now, we were told about this meeting a couple of weeks ago in chapter 22. That is, 
that Abathar escaped the massacre at Nob and then ran to David. And we talked about that. But yet, now we are given some very, spe- some very specific detail of the time of this priest's arrival here after the deliverance of, of Caleb. So what, what exactly does this mean? Well, it means that the events of chapter 22, verses 20 through 23, actually happened here in verse 6, which then puts Saul in Nob at the same time that David is rescuing Caleb. Maybe you wondered why Saul didn't rescue Caleb. Well, He didn't because he was too busy killing the priest of the Lord and some babies. Yes, just as Saul is killing the priest of the Lord, David is killing Philistines, the enemy of the Lord. As Saul is massacring, 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 why am I having, massacring, that was not a hard word. While Saul is massacring his own own people, David is saving his brothers. Saul is killing innocent ones, but David is rescuing those that didn't even ask for help. It's hard to imagine a more stark contrast between the kingship of Saul and the leadership of David. Fueled By jealousy for his own power, Saul slaughters the people of God, the anointed, the anointed ones of God, the priest. But David, David risked his own life to save the people. Now, this contrast will continue to be played out, for now Saul is informed that David is at Caleb. So how does Saul interpret this information. Well, Saul makes no effort to inquire of the Lord. That's first and foremost. Rather, he does something else. He presumes upon the Lord. What does that mean? Well, note the middle of verse 7. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. What? Did, Did you... Did you see what he just said? Saul says, God has given David into my hands. Saul reads providence as God giving David into his hands. Saul here is overflowing with false confidence and false assurance. For we get the impression that Saul's overconfidence is covering for something. For how blind can Saul really be? He has been told not once, but twice, that God has rejected him as king. Saul is deluding himself into thinking that the Lord is still blessing him. He is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, and he is arrogantly reading providence with certainty by making a presumption. Hey, God has done it. Look what God has done. I am not going to need to seek the Lord. Clearly, David is in my hands. There is no thoughtfulness 
There is no mindfulness, there is no humility inquiring of the Lord of what this situation could possibly mean. Rather, he assumes that he knows and that he is correct. In fact, Saul sees David's salvation of Calah, think of this with me, he sees this issue of what, of, of what David did as a crime. For now, Saul assembles his entire army just as he did when he fought the Amalekites. We can almost say with certainty that Saul intends on sacking the, sacking the entire city of Calah just to get to David. This wouldn't be surprising after the events of Nob. My point being is that Saul is willing to burn the hen house all the way down to the ground just to get to the fox. Of course, he already destroyed Nob. What's one more Israelite town if you can kill your potential replacement of the throne? Well, David is once again contrasted with Saul's arrogance and his violent presumption. Note verses 9 and 10. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city. Did you hear that? To destroy the city on my account. Pretty, pretty certain he is going to just to annihilate another Israelite town. So once David hears Saul is coming, what does he do? Well, he, he once again inquires of the Lord. He now has the ephod and the priest, which is a very reliable way to seek the will of God during that time. And so David will put two questions to the Lord. First, will Saul come down to Calah? And God answers, yes, he is coming. And second, will these men of Calah give David up? To Saul. And again, the answer is yes. They will hand you over to Saul. Now, think about this with me for a moment. This is quite the betrayal. The very people that David just saved from the Philistines, they are going to give him up. Talk about ungrateful. To stab your Savior in the back is treachery in its darkest Now, the leaders of Calah, let's make no mistake, they're certainly in in a tough spot. Saul is coming to burn down your city. And so either they hand David over or they're going to die. One man dies or they all die. Surely it's better that one man dies than the whole city perish, right? Well, David will not put the lives of the people of Calah at risk, and so David packs and he leaves. He takes his band of now 600 men and he heads out to the back country. David first saved Calah from the Philistines and now by leaving, he saves them from Saul's bloodthirsty jealousy. The place that David relocates, well, it's hardly pleasant. He hikes southeast towards the Dead Sea. Brothers and sisters, this would have been a hot, dry, rugged land of ravines and cliffs. Basically think, you know, California. No one liked that. I'll keep that to the side. 
to survive, David is being driven out further into the desolate places of the wild. That's my point. Saul is constantly on the hunt, so David has to keep looking over his shoulder. Well, if you were David, it could be really easy to get discouraged right about now. Saul is relentlessly pursuing you, and the people that you have just helped, they've betrayed you. And you're stuck with a large band of outlaws and these miscreants, and then you're feeling down. And there's nothing like having that of a friend, someone who knows just how to encourage you. Well, Jonathan seems to know that David needs some encouragement. Saul can't find David to save his life, but Jonathan locates him with ease. Imagine, you're depressed, you're out in the middle of nowhere in the desert, and all of a sudden your best friend knocks on the tent door. Yes, Jonathan sneaks out to encourage David in the Lord. What a real friend. Someone that is willing to risk his life to encourage a brother. Look at the words that Jonathan uses to strengthen David with me. Verse 17 says, And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And so Jonathan's basically saying this, Look, my my dad couldn't find his way out of a wet paper bag. He is not going to be able to track you down. David, you're like Daniel Boone, and my dad is like a city boy. Doesn't stand a chance again. You, In fact, look, Jonathan's faith is equally uplifting here. He says, David, you are going to be king, and I'm going to be second in command. He speaks like their boyhood dream will actually come true. Well, brothers and sisters, Jonathan's faith is grounded in God's will. And you should ask this question. Well, Brent, how do you know that? How so? Well, he knows that God has chosen David. Therefore, he will certainly become king. Think about how revitalizing this would have been for David. You mean you're down in the dumps, things look bleak, but your friend comes and reminds you the Lord has this under control. David, all of this testing, all of your current suffering will be worth it. You will be king. The suffering is worth it. The joy set before you. And so Jonathan and David renew their covenant, and Jonathan goes home. Jonathan was just what David needed at the right time. For as soon as Jonathan departs, betrayal takes place once again. The local Ziphites, this is the area of of Judah, the local Ziphites notice that, that David is in their neighborhood. They are not about to harbor someone who has been labeled a terrorist. The Ziphites journey then on their way to Saul's capital in Gibeah to rat David out. They tell Saul right where David is. And just as Saul's desire is to capture David, it is their desire to hand David over to Saul. The Ziphites want the honor of having helped the crown to catch the enemy of the state. 
Saul does show a little more caution, caution this time. He's starting to wise up a little. Look at his response in verse 22. Go make sure you know. Know then see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. As we just read, Saul knows that David is very cunning. He's like a, fl- a fox. He is sly. Saul's not going to follow the Ziphites without a definite location. The king wants what we would call address verification before he commits the troops. So he tells the Ziphites to be certain on David's whereabouts, and then he will come. Now, even though Saul is cautious here, he is still way too confident. Note what he says. I will find him even among the thousands of Judah. Saul has placed all his resources into finding David. And he's so positive that he's going to catch David, it's only a matter of time. Well, the Ziphites supply Saul with the intelligence that he desires. And so without delay, Saul and his men are again on the hunt And with that, our narrative becomes a full-blown chase. Note verses 25 and 26. And Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told. So he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maom. And when Saul heard that he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maom, Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. Listen to this. And I want to point this out. And David was hurrying to get away. This literally, he is running for his life here. Hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men, listen to this, were closing in on David and his men to capture them. What we have here is a cat and mouse chase. And as soon we see that the distance is being closed, we can feel in our text, in the narrative, the pressure on David. Our text once again says that David is hurrying, he's running for his life, and at the end of verse 26 it says that Saul is closing in. That means he's surrounding David. Think of a, I know you guys don't maybe know a lot of military strategy, and that's okay, you're not supposed to. Think about you're around one side of the mountain, and so you take troops to follow after them. But what do you do? You do what they call a pincher move, and you take another form of troops around the other side. And so then basically you're closing the gap on both sides. So essentially that looks and appears that's what's going on in the text. Saul has the jump on David, and things are looking pretty dark right about now. They're looking bleak. It's a matter of moments, it appears, that Saul will apprehend David, finally. For all intents and purposes, David is trapped. The end is near for David. Now, there is one major thing that Saul has forgotten to account for, and that is that God is on David's side, that David is the anointed one. David is all out of moves. But God is still very much in control. For all of a sudden, a messenger shows up in our narrative in verse 27. Look at it with me. It literally says, A messenger came to Saul saying, 
Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So all of a sudden, a messenger comes with desperate news. The Philistines, they're attacking. Now the word here for messenger is the same word that can also mean angel. And so abrupt is this guy's appearance, we can't help but to half wonder if this was an angel disguised as a man. Regardless, Saul still has enough integrity to prioritize a national disaster over his personal vendetta against David. And so, with the news from the messenger, Saul, Saul, it's quite the afternoon, Saul stops the chase even though he was so close. He goes and fights the Philistines, and David, David is saved. David saved the inhabitants of Calah from the Philistines, and the Lord used the Philistines to save David from Saul. Just when it looked like David's life was about to be snuffed out, the Lord stepped in. The Lord is on the side of His anointed one. God was not going to give David into Saul's hands. The Lord was the shield. The Lord is the defender of His anointed one. Brothers and sisters, what we have before us this afternoon is a wonderful picture of Christ, and in particular, the Father's care of Him. For why was God such an impenetrable fence around David? Well, as Jonathan said, to bring him... David, to the throne. God was watching over David. This is not just some case of providential care over his people. Rather, it was the Lord's keeping of his anointed one for the throne. You see, the entire salvation of God's covenant people is tied up in David's well-being. Why? Because what line does Christ come through but David's? You see, in this redemptive narrative, it's not about us first. It is truly about Christ. In the marvelous protection of David, we see God watching over Christ in His earthly ministry. Think about this with me. How many close calls did Jesus have just in His earthly ministry? It was like there was always some kind of murderous plot around the corner. And in fact, you may recall in John 7, the entire temple police was on high alert to arrest Jesus. The entire city was on lockdown, but Jesus slipped through their fingers like it was nothing. No harm could come to Jesus, listen to me, until His hour had come. As Jesus Himself said, No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. It was impossible to catch Jesus until he let himself be caught. Furthermore, the people that were trying to hunt Jesus down were not much different from the inhabitants of Cala. That is, they were the very ones that Jesus came to save. Jesus was dying to save the very people that were killing him. 
Kayla betrayed their Savior. The Ziphites ratted out the future king. This is not a picture of what Paul tells us when he says that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Think about it. We are the ungrateful traitors. We once viewed Christ as our enemy. We would have sold Him and betrayed Him just like Judas. But while we were steeped in hostility and sin, Christ was loving us unto death. Yes, Christ is our unexpected Savior, labeled an outlaw, labeled a criminal. Jesus was executed for our salvation. By His death, We have forgiveness and life. Thus, the Father protected Jesus precisely for the moment when He was forsaken. This is your King. This is your Savior. For the joy of having us as His very own people, Jesus endured the bitter splinters of the cross. And because Jesus was faithful and righteous, He has come into His kingdom. Christ is on His throne, brothers and sisters, and He sits at the right hand of the Father. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as your glorified King, Christ has also given you a promise that He will be with you even to the end of the age. Christ has promised to guide you and to protect you unto glory. We may not be running for our lives, but we are on a journey. And as pilgrims, brothers and sisters, make no mistake, we need guidance. We need to seek the will of the Lord. And so think about how we do pray at some times, if we're honest. Lord, please tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. What is your will? And so we want God to tell us or to show us how to read providence, to show us how to make right decisions. But I want to remind you, and as I read from Hebrews earlier, our Lord has not given us an ephod. He has not given us an ephod with a priest, and He's not given us a prophet like He gave to David. We cannot inquire of the Lord for an infallible answer. And we should not be presumptuous like Saul. Brothers and sisters, we cannot read providence to divine God's purpose and plan for our lives. We can't do that. God has His reasons, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so I want to submit to you that we need to be humble. We need to be thoughtful towards providence and not be hasty and not be presumptuous for we don't know tomorrow. And if we're honest, we can't even see all the reasons why certain situations happened the way that they did yesterday. Yet, this does not mean that God has left us without help. I want to be clear about this. As Christ said to His disciples, He has given to you the Holy Spirit of God, who does guide you. As Jesus says, the Spirit leads you, listen to me, into all truth. 
And so I want to ask you a question, and we'll be quick. How does the Spirit do this? Well, again, Jesus told us, the Spirit will speak whatever He hears. So the Spirit guides you, listen to me, by the proclaimed Word of God. It is not by dreams. It is not by visions. It is not by liver shivers. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Rather, the Spirit works through the faithful preaching of God's Word. And so it is the means of grace that is your sufficient guidance in Christ. In the Word and in the Gospel declared, the Lord has given you all that you need, listen to me, for life and for godliness. He has given you everything for your faith. So yes, our curiosity, it does burn within us, saying we need more information in order to have a strong faith. But the Lord has said, no. In my Word I have given you your faith, and all that you need for salvation in your pilgrimage. That's what He has provided for us. And, brothers and sisters, take that as a comfort. He has not denied us anything. That that Christ is with you by the Spirit in His Word, and Christ has freely given you, listen to me, all that you need. It is the proclaimed Word that encourages us, that comforts us, that strengthens our faith. This is why attendance to the means of grace every Lord's Day is so important. So may we avail ourselves to the hearing of the Gospel. For in the Gospel we hear the sweet news of how Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And we hear the most blessed report of Jesus' resurrection, His ascension, and His coming again. And in the Gospel, we are reminded that no matter what tomorrow holds, Christ holds on to you. He keeps us for the resurrection. And so may we live by faith until that day, so that the glory will be to our King also that we may not betray Him. Man, today's message was so vital between the the, the prayer meeting and the Word proclaimed in this afternoon. Brothers and sisters, hold fast to your faith. Live in loyalty to Him in faith for all that He has done for us.